Titus O'Reilly here to just remind you quickly of Bizarre Plus, our membership program for even more Mick and Titus, just talking nonsense. Go to the link in our show notes if you want to join up. It's Sports Bizarre. Welcome aboard, everyone. Anyone isn't happy. We call it all off immediately. The hunt for the weirdest. There you go. Can you put out a fact sheet with this? <laughs> Blow my mind. I don't, I can't <laughs> keep up. Strangers. Catastrophic, amazing, bizarre. Multiple layers of stupidity coming together. What could go wrong? Most unbelievable. It's like a Coen Brothers movie. Stories to ever occur. They're only going to get weirder from here. Get comfy, everyone. Some good, some bad. And some just bizarre, which we love. In the world of sport. How many chimneys could you do in a day? I've researched the tool. To France, not Jimmy's. Sports Bizarre. Right, police are called in. <laughs> For the players. Dennis Rodman is telling you to calm down. Testicle suit. Can I just stop you for a second? Don't act like you've never done this. I feel like once again we've strayed away from what I've researched. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. An old couple who've got our spark back. <laughs> it's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome back to Sports Bazaar, the latest edition of I'm Mick Malloy, and of course, as always, doing the heavy lifting, Titus O'Reilly. Titus, where are we going? Fill me in. I have no idea. Uh, no, this, this is one my you favourite don't, don't... moment of the week. <laughs> what sport, where, when, fill me in. Well, this one we are going way back. So I think lately we've done a bit of FIFA corruption, sure. a bit of John Daly, wow. modern era sort of stuff. Yeah. And we're going back in time a fair bit here and we're going to do the early days of boxing. Okay. Oh, so brilliant. We did one, if you haven't listened to it yet, Young Griffo, a boxer in the late 19th century Extraordinary early story. 20th, went off to America Australia. from Australia. Yeah. One of the great sports stories, it wherever you're from. It should be a movie yeah. made You don't have to like boxing, just... It's an epic tale so if you haven't, from yeah. start to finish. So when we're talking boxing, are we talking Queensbury rules? Or we're talking we... from basically modern-day boxing, the marquee of Queensbury rules, yes. up to there, but we're going to go how we got to that point where you have the basically the rules the of rules modern boxing. The rules put in place, which still exists today. Yeah, so, I mean, two guys fighting, and you and I know this all too sure. well, is not an uncommon thing. So to call it a sport, you know, cavemen probably boxed on, you know. So sure. it's the simplest sport in many ways, boxing, you know, in that it's two guys with two fists each and they um, just pummel each other, right? They go hammer and tongs. So why we think it was probably around, and this is just to give you the narrowing down the time frame we're looking at, probably around from the dawn of time. Yep. Then you have Egypt and Mesopotamia. So this is in like, you know, 3,000 years before Christ. We've got images on walls of boxing. boxing. Not boxing as we know it today, but blokes squaring up to each other, you know, so we've got that <laughs> sort of stuff. Hieroglyphics, everything looks kind of boxing. It does kind yeah, you know. Kinda... Is it? Are they boxing or harvesting wheat <laughs> or dancing? I can't there tell. Uh, we know it got included into the ancient Olympics where the Greeks yep. had a form of boxing. So there's that era. Then the ancient Romans had it as well. So the Romans had it. They often would have a part of gladiatorial contest. Theirs yep. is a bit different. They would wrap their hands and forearms with leather straps and that would be studded with metal shards. Okay. And they, so instead of like boxing gloves but with metal shards come sticking out of it. How many and rounds did they go? They battled to the death. Oh, to the death, was it? Because it was Rome. Rome Call me old-fashioned, but those were the days. <laughs> uh, no nanny in, state. This, this nanny state piano, I remember when they dropped it from 15 to 12 rounds. Yeah. I thought that was too much. Whatever happened to the death? To the death, you know, bring it back. Do you reckon you know? in those days when they stopped doing it to the death, there would have been people going, this is bullshit. I'm sh- absolutely positive people were like going, <laughs> writing letters to the editor, or sending tablets in, putting well, them up. that's me done. That's the last boxing match I attend. I'm sick of this cancel culture. Any changes met by it, right? Like yeah. it always happens. No need for the ringside doctor. It's a, <laughs> a coroner. The this is a jobs coroner. program for doctors. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so this all is big, but you know, obviously in China and South America, this is happening too. But we're getting to how the modern day boxing emerges, which Herbal very much. Did they take their eye off the ball? I, I just think they got lazy. They got you know too many orgies, too much yeah. lying around in togas, chaise lounges. <laughs> Too much, too much grape eating. They did. It was like it's the typical thing, right? You you live in cities and you get rich, so you become soft. Yeah. And then people who live in like the forest or on the steppe so, and have nothing go. Right then, we'll take this. 
<laughs> we'll take the whole thing. All right. So the Roman Empire collapses, and what happens here in medieval Europe? So we're tracing the line to the current rules of boxing. Yes. So it goes through Europe. You then have boxing goes away because basically the aristocratic class in medieval England are into jousting, archery, fencing, the fencing all these sort of things because they're about warfare. <laughs> There's a complete lack of interest because you're just training the whole time to kill people sure. in war. So the idea of doing it for sport becomes a bit... Good idea. Eh. They do tournaments and stuff, but that's, you know, yeah. it's, it's jousting that. I mean, I think commoners kept punching on. One of the great... Good on them. Good on them. Kept the, kept the spirit alive. Boxing in any sort of organised form has sort of really disappeared. So this brings us up to where we're going to start really our story is the Georgian era. So you're sort of talking... This, this sort of goes from 1714 to sort of 1837 yeah. till Queen Victoria ascends. And it's an interesting time because it's where the last of the sort of the medieval era meets the beginning of the modern era in England. Right. So, you know, England's in the ascendancy. You know, it's starting to set up its empire in massive ways. It's suddenly no longer – they're moving on from knights to, you know, having firearms and all this. Put the stuff. armour away. It put the armour away and all this. So medieval England's going away in many ways. And where it's changing is like King George the Second. he's the last monarch – ever born outside of Britain. Yeah. So he, they rule that. These are the Hanoverian kings who rule Germany and England. He's the last king born outside of Britain. After this, it becomes all English, born in English, speaks English. Was medieval the most brutal era? Like, if you think about it, would that have been like the... I think it's right up there. It's got to be up there. Also, all the pestilence. <laughs> it's like we've lived through one, but it's nothing compared to... But going medieval is a euphemism for... Bru like absolute brutality. Being total yeah, yeah. brutality. Yeah. And their kind of instruments of warfare. It's like someone sitting around spending a lot of oh. time thinking about, I don't know, a ball on a chain with spikes or yeah. a, a sword the size of a small car. Oh, and they'd torture people and kill people publicly like as an exhibition. Yeah. And the kids, they'd, they'd take all – it was like a family day out to watch someone being <laughs> like executed. <laughs> In the most horrific. Like uh, large popcorn, large Coke. Come on, kids. Yeah, let's go it's down. a double billing. Let's go. <laughs> I don't want to go to the execution. I'm bored. A torturer was a legitimate profession. It's a legit. The, you, the amount of, and this is where like they would get bears to fight dogs and they would get chickens, roosters to fight dogs. They like spare time on their hands. And, or they're, they're really yeah. trying. Anything that could fight something was like, let's give it a whirl. What was the instrument? The rack? The rack, I yeah. The rack. They did the rack. What about the one with the spikes in it? They'd close the Iron Maiden, wasn't oh, it? The Iron Maiden. Yeah, no. And let's not forget the old red hot poker up the ass. Not, that not had a... its moments. <laughs> <laughs> On the podcast, people won't just see me nervously shifting my seat thinking about that one. <laughs> not what you want. So this is the era it's coming out of, and right. it hasn't. The Victorian era under Queen Victoria is when Britain becomes very buttoned up and yeah. stuffy, okay. and they start to ban a lot of this stuff. But the Georgian era is sort of where you got the remnants of that. It hasn't quite happened yet. So boxing is sure. really influenced by this. In fact, this is like George II, you know, the last king born out of thing. He doesn't speak English. He speaks German. What's he the king of? King of England and um, speak English. Hanover, which is in Germany. So he's got multiple places. Wow. He was known as being popular with the people because he wasn't his father, who they hated because they saw yeah. him as too German. So the English and the Germans even then. That's what he was doing. <laughs> but, for instance, this is how medieval this sort of time is. He's the last ever British royal, this is George II, to command an army in the field, like he's actually in the he army commanding it. it. Yeah, Over uh, the day. It was the War of Austrian Succession and the commoners of, in Britain put bets on whether or not he'd be killed. <laughs> <laughs> So wow. it was a fun time, you know. This was sort of the so, but it's also people are moving into cities. It's becoming more modern. You're in the beginning. Okay. So this is also the time of the age of enlightenment. So this is when the Europeans are going back and finding the the records of the Romans and the Greeks. Like a lot of these sources are being translated back into Latin after yes. being in Persia and places like that, and they're yeah. starting to learn this. And right. and the Romans and the Greeks talk a lot about boxing. So that British aristocracy start to go. Oh, well, this boxing, let's try and emulate the Romans. What's this caper all about? And yeah. get into boxing again. So they right. suddenly started, so they started to put down the swords a little bit and pick up their oh. fists, right? So this is all happening. And so it's a big revival. And you suddenly have the aristocracy putting huge amounts of money on 
boxers who are working class people, but they back them. These are like mentors again, yeah. is it? Like, yeah, and this leads right up to the Regency period, which is the sort of 1811, 1812, it hits its peak. And the new show, like Bridgerton, which is on Netflix, which is about this era, it has. I've watched a scene. I, I can imagine you've watched all of it. I'm a Downton Abbey guy. Yeah, you're more. Upstairs, you're, downstairs. Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember that upstairs, downstairs. That was absolutely original. Very good. So this show, which is on Netflix, is very popular. It shows a boxing story in it about how the aristocracy and the poor working class boxers sure. like fund each other and all this, right? Yeah. So like, this is the area we're talking about. And so this is all happening, but it's getting bigger and bigger. People are really starting to get interested in this. And a lot of the practices and words that we now use with boxing, but even just phrases in life, come from this era. So assigning a colour to each corner, you have the, out of the red corner or the blue corner, yes. This was came from this time where um, a fighter would tie a scarf or a flag to their corner and then when you lost, your opponent would come and take your flag, take your colours. Which, which is a belt. So, yeah. yeah, which, well then, um, another, other phrases like to throw your hat in the ring, that, come, yes. that comes from this era because when, the, um, when fighters arrived, they would throw their hat in the to ring announce. to signal, I've arrived for a bat, I'm ready, I'm, I'll fight. But so it, would, literally, it would be predetermined. I can't just turn up and go. Sometimes it would be predetermined because some of these guys would just fight. They'd go to a fair and go, I'll fight anyone who wants to fight me. And so, so you'd throw you your throw hat, your hat, hat in, in the ring to say, oh, okay, I'll do it. So it was literally like. So do throwing, that next time I go to a sanctioned fight. Yeah, you're, you're in <laughs> Vegas and you just go. Yeah. <laughs> so that comes from that championship belts, as you mentioned. They come back from this time. In 1811, a guy called Tom Cribb, who was a huge championship boxer at the time, King George III gave him the first ever championship belt. It what was, was it? Constructed of lion skin and sterling silver. <laughs> that would be fantastic. That was the first ever belt. It was made out of lion skin. Wow. So that, you know, that would have looked nice. It's an incredible part of boxing that you don't understand. Yeah. You're playing for this ridiculous oversized belt. belt. That's where it comes from. And then, of course, when you start with, and this is going to be the first ever boxing belt was lion skin and sterling silver. Yes. So they have to get sillier from there on. Like of they course. start at such a ridiculously, <laughs> it's not like it started off as a tiny leather belt. No. The first one's lion skin. You know, if you go hard early, you've yeah, got to yeah. keep it. Well, so pretty much, you know. It's got to be a dolphin belt or something. <laughs> that. What are yeah, you gonna... endangered animals. <laughs> um, a draw. So when a draw in sport happens, this comes from this era. So a draw was when when the two boxes, no one was declared the winner. They would take up the wooden stakes that marked out the boxing ring. They would draw them out of the ground. So it's a draw. To say, oh, this, is fantastic. this is done. So this is a really important time. So this is all bare-knuckled boxing. We'll get into what was allowed and what was not allowed. This time. But you got to remember, these guys aren't fighting with gloves. And this is where nicknames in boxing, you know, so you've got Iron Mike Tyson, you've sure, got all these great, you know. Bad dog. Yeah, all these ones. So these are some of the nicknames which came in these early years. So this is the 19th century early, like yeah. fairly early on, and even the end of the um, 17th century. You've got guys like William Stevens, who's the nailer because he was a carpenter. You've got George Milsom, who was the baker. Because he was a baker? Because he was a baker. So they early on they go very... They're not having it. They're not having... They're not not staying a, up late. No. Having writing sessions it's, about the... So there's another guy, Thomas Owen, who's the fighting oil man. So, so, yeah, not a lot of – then they go, the well – Undertaker was actually an undertaker. <laughs> yeah, it was literally saying? like that, right? Then they went, let's do some nicknames based on race because, you know, racism no. was not really a thing at the time. I mean, sure. it was a thing that existed but no one cared. No. So there was <laughs> Peter Cochran who was the Irish champion. Daniel Mendoza was known as the Jewish champion. Yeah. So they, they didn't really – so once again, again, not really thing. There was a guy called Henry Pierce. So his nickname was Hen. So his nickname was The Game Chicken. That's not, not exactly. <laughs> I'm looking out of everyone. The game chicken strand is hat in the ring. Imagine him fighting Mike Tyson. It's Iron Mike Tyson versus the game chicken. <laughs> Another guy, Tom Spring, was known for not being a heavy hitter. And so he was known as the light tapper. But he used the name. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like it was a diss. It was He's like come in and the hugger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just the fondler. The slapper. <laughs> the tickler. The gentle caresser. <laughs> yeah, the handsy. No one's worked out the intimidatory nature. You're not really getting one. Like there's another guy where so you've had the based on their jobs yep. of nickname like bad nicknames. Uh, you've races. had you've races, then you've got James Burke was known as the Deafen because he was deaf. 
<laughs> so once again, just statements of facts more than you know, <laughs> the deafen. How do you hear the bell? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you know it's when like, to stop? There was another one called Tom Paddock. He was the Reddick needle pointer. So he did need, no. need, like so. I'll take him on. Yeah, so I'll like, take the needle pointer. But that one, like, they've put where he's from and uh, what he is. Tom King was the fighting sailor, so starting to try and be a little bit more, you know. Okay, I'm slightly intimidated by Slightly, you know, but still very vocation-based nickname. Then you've got one guy, I don't get this one at all, his name was Sam Hurst. He was the Staley Bridge infant. (laughs) I'll fight him too. I'll fight the needlework and the infant. Now, my favourite, there was a guy called Peter Crawley. His ring nickname was Young Rump Steak. Because <laughs> he got so tenderised. Boogada, 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 boogada. That's not a name nickname you want in prison, I think. Like, it's, not, it's not a great one. Oh. This is sort of the 18th and 19th century. Boxing becomes important because it's seen as embodying what it is to be a British man. So there's a lot of talk in the contemporary sources that I've read about manhood. Sure. Right. But you're saying it's being dominated by the aristocratic classes at the, the aristocratic stage. Aristocratic, no, the it's everyone. Ari- both aristocrats. We get into all this, but the aristocrats fund it. Yes, they're like the patrons, right. and they put a lot they of they put on the show. They put on the show a lot of betting, <laughs> a lot of betting. They I don't. Can't but wait they don't. The first match fixing. But yeah, we'll yeah. Get there. They don't fight they don't that fight. much. They pay brutes of working class men, as Correct. they would see it, to do the fighting. And but they often reward them significantly. But the fans are working class? Both. Mixed. Women, men, and we'll get into some of the women and things like that too. It's a very male-dominated sport at this point, obviously, but there are women fighting too, and there's definitely women in the audience. I'm, a, I'm staggered by that. Yeah. Aristocrats are there, the working class. It's one of the few a lot places. Of pantaloons? Is this era of the Enormous amounts of pantaloons. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also the time where, you know, as you do with boxing now, yes. where you'll get rich and the poor rubbing shoulders it's a melting pot. It's a Correct. bit like horse racing too. Like you'll get all types. It's one of those you know. occasions where everyone happily cohabitates under the Yeah, same yeah. Roof. You all come, right? I love so, those occasions. And the Britons at the time, it's got a very old school masculinity, but it was seen as to be a man, you needed to be able to fight. Sure. You needed to be tough, all these sort of things. You know, I mean, this is a time of war too. So combat's a real thing. A lot of yeah. these guys might end up going and fighting, even the aristocrats. So these are the Napoleonic Wars are coming towards the end of the year. So you've got all these sort of things, right? And so it was seen as good for young men to have educations in learning how to box. So it was sure. seen as a good thing. And it was also seen that alongside it went drinking and gambling. And these were also weirdly kind <laughs> never of... Never far away. Never far away. Yeah. And in the Georgian era, unlike the Victorian era, yeah. drinking and gambling and going to prostitutes and fighting were all seen as things that just men did. It was seen as a good thing that men did it because they it saw time. they saw the the continent, the more cultured French especially, as sort of feminine and weak, and this was what they thought, yeah. right? They and they thought saw it themselves as yeah, and, and into art, you know, idiots. dressing up and you know, or idiot like they soft and you know effeminate, and they saw the the British man as hard drinking, hard gambling, hard fighting. Like Out it. with the boys was very much a kind of see you down the whorehouse. Yeah, exactly. It was they all did it, and it was a big thing. So they're really into this, and they saw it as not only being a man, but they saw it as being British and not like people from the continent. So boxing fits right into this. <laughs> boxing is a statement. Yeah, they say one guy wrote in the paper in the middle of this that the English character is preserved by boxing from preventing the thoroughly bred bulldog from turning into a whining pup. So it's that big, you know. The first recorded fight in Britain, this is when we're starting to get into like proper, it's called boxing and it's organised fighting, is in 1681 when the Protestant Mercury states, yesterday a match of boxing was performed before his grace, the Duke of Albemarle, between the Duke's footman and a butcher. This is the newspaper report, right? So it says first it was just – They were told on the day, you're fighting the footman. Yeah, I want you to fight that guy. (laughs) So the footman's like a servant who's sort of the errand guy and all that sort of stuff. He fights the butcher and says the latter won the prize. Has he thrown his butcher's hat into the (laughs) ring? It says the latter won the prize, this is the butcher, as he hath done many before being accounted 
though but a little man, the best at the exercise in England. Okay. Basically, the Duke's gone to the footman, hey, fight the best fighter in England. <laughs> Do it. Do it now. And then it gets written up. So that's the first ever thing. After this, 1698, you're getting the Royal Theatre of London is hosting regular bouts of this. These are the, the actual theatre is, and it's the Royal Theatre. So that meant right. like it wasn't a vestige that was actually the official Royal sure. Theatre. Um, so this is all. It says at the time, and at the time, this is bare-fisted, no-rules fighting, okay. closer to UFC, marsh mixed rounds, martial arts. Rounds, rounds? Is there yeah, unlimited rounds unlimited. until someone can't go on. Oh, we'll get into the, all the data, but it is like that full-on. It was okay. bloody brutal. Yeah. It's described by one, the people coming to watch it at this point, this is like 1698, the audience is a vulgar and tumultuous rabble of vagrants, drunkards, ruffian brawlers and gambling desperados. So like the Sports Bazaar audience. Yes, welcome aboard everyone. (laughs) The reality is the aristocrats are funding it. Lord Byron, the famous poet, yes. is going. He's involved. Yeah, later in the century, but he's He'd going. Be the drunken. Yeah, very much. Well, he's in almost all of those. Um, <laughs> King George sets up the second, sets up a ring at Hyde Park in London in 1723. And so it becomes prize fighting where you fight for money. Yeah. It's the aristocrats. But women, early 1700s, they're definitely fighting. Yes. And as the century goes on, getting up to 1800, they fight less. It becomes more frowned upon for women to fight. But in the early I days... I don't understand that it feels you thought they were more that that would never happen. It ebbs and flows throughout history of when women are allowed to do stuff. And at this point, it was still frowned upon by certain classes for women to fight, but it was yes. more like things. So one match in 1722 involved two women taking the stage to box for a prize of three guineas. The rule for this match required each woman to strike each other in the face while holding a half-crown coin in each fist, and the first to drop a coin would be named the loser. So it's not even like just normal boxing. It's just punching each other. Punching each other. Um, But, you know, there's not real normal boxing at this point because there's no rules. And this was popular? Yeah. According to the London Journal, the two women maintained the battle with great valour for a long time to the no small satisfaction of the spectators. Well, 1795, there's still some of the last female boxing matches going yes. on. There's one between Mary Ann Fielding and a boxer known only as the Jewess of Wentworth Street. <laughs> there's a lot of calling boxers like the Jew, the Irishman, you know, the Venetian. Like there's a lot of just, and, you know, it's just very blunt of what but they are. I think are. that still exists today. It's, I went, I went yeah, to boxing yeah. in Madison Square Garden and, and I was watching a Golovkin fight. What I was staggered by, every fight, the, the flags are for a nation. Yes. The flags are Cuban. The flags are Spanish. The yeah. flag are Mexican. People are going, where's a nation? It's, it's not, it's not sports. You. It's yeah. not tribes. It's this. You are a natural hero. You are, you're a significant Figure, yeah, to our it's nation. more like the FIFA World Cup with a team, but it's an individual. It's Correct. like we, but yeah, yeah, you are representing right. the honor of our nat- of our country, and they not mean just, it. yeah, absolutely. You know, some of these fights, it's like people are surprised how good the women are and how brutal they are in the local papers. Yes. But by the end of the sort of the 18th century, so 1800 onwards, women fighting becomes more illegal and underground. Right. There's a letter to the Times. This is from September 1852, right? And the guy, this is a letter someone writes in. This shows how women fighting becomes frowned upon. It says, Sir, GW, this is another person who wrote in, in today's Times expressed his surprise that no man was found who would assist in the capture of the brute who knocked a woman down. So he's referring to something just happened in the street one day. He says, your correspondent will probably cease to wonder when he reads the following. About a month ago, I was at breakfast with my family at Kensal Green when I perceived a number of persons passing through the field adjoining my house. (laughs) I endeavoured to ascertain the cause. With much difficulty, I did so. The stream of men and women had come from Paddington to a prize fight between two, no, not men, women, (laughs) exclamation mark. One of my family, being incredulous, contrived to look across the fields and there saw the combatants stripped to the waist and fighting these two women. I love how he says, one of my family, being incredulous, worked out a way to watch. It's like I think I've, I think two people in the flat across are making love. I'll just go and see if I can see because I'm outraged. 
<laughs> I'm going to watch the whole thing. I'm going to take a closer look at this. Yeah, I'm going to. It's going to take a while. I'll just, yeah. Don't spit me back give me, some, yeah, give me some privacy. Yeah. And this is where he's blaming the men. But were they naked? These, were they were naked? From the waist up. So, yeah, so it's like a boxer today, but these happen to be women, right? But they're... they're Foxy got, boxing. Yeah, exactly. They're building the living daylights out of them. He says, and this is where he's outraged at the men because he's not blaming the women, he's blaming the yes. men in this letter. He said, men took them there, men backed them, men were the bottle holders and timekeepers. They fought for about half an hour, some say for five shillings, some say for a sovereign, and some say they will do it again. I saw the winner led back in triumph by men. After the above, I think your correspondent will cease to wonder at the indifference of a Paddington mob. You, sir, have already drawn the moral from such things. Perhaps you will permit me to add my matured conviction that some vices and some crimes are too disgraceful for mere punishment of a clean, well-oiled, ordered and well-fed prison. Let us have the whipping post again, oh, and at the flogging, let the crime of unmanly brutes be written over their heads. Jesus. They could write a letter in the day. Uh, that's an angry letter. <laughs> that's an angry letter. So you have over Written this, with a quill, probably. Yeah, exactly. So in this time, you've got women's going from being out of box quite regularly to not. This, but, it's going underground. Yeah, but it's not as big as the men boxing, obviously. But they were very big on the watching of it all the way through, and they did fight fairly regularly. So we come now to the first great boxer of all time and where many people would say the modern-day boxing sort of begins its path yes. towards the rules we now know. And it's a guy called James Figg. He's born in 1684. Others say 16. The fruiterer. <laughs> the fruiterer. Is that his nickname? He's born in 1684 or 1695. We don't know. Yeah, records. Right? So records then. He's born in, uh, near Oxford. He's the youngest of seven children. He grows up to be six foot tall, 185 pounds. So six foot tall in those days is big. It's big. So the average height back then in Britain was five foot five. Staggering. Now it's five foot nine. Across the US, Britain, Incredible. Australia, all the Western countries, it's about five nine. Did they have weight divisions? No weight no, divisions. So no. So this is just a this is how yeah. different it is. So he's from a poor agricultural family and his life's not easy apparently. We don't know much about it because there's record keeping before he gets to about you know, yeah. sort of famous through fighting, we don't know. But he gets a reputation early on for prize fighting. So this is when anyone can show up at a local fair and go, I'll fight throw some champion, throw their hat in the wing and ring money, and he starts winning money. At the time, though, it's not just fists because you're coming out of the medieval times. So they are known, he becomes known for his mastery of the short sword, the cudgel, and the quarterstaff. What, inside a boxing ring? Yeah, so they would often have a round of fighting with swords. Good Lord. A round of fighting with... A cudgel, which, you know, is a wooden club, basically. Sure. They would have a round of fighting with bare fists, which you could wrestle and do everything else, and they would have a round potentially with the quarterstaff. Now, quarterstaff was a shaft of hardwood. It was six to nine feet in length, and it would have a metal tip or spike attached to the end. So we're not talking like... So but this is like you get to full, choose which, which who goes some first. Would we'll have a, a, we'll have a, they would we'll organise some of that. There would be some who specialised in certain disciplines and stuff. But often it would be the big fights would be one round of this. And by rounds I mean the round could go half an hour. Yeah, Might start with swords, go to bare fists, then finish with cudgels was quite a common I format. Imagine it going much past swords. <laughs> if swords is your start. But these guys surely. were so good they often wouldn't get nicked so they could fight for half an hour and no one would actually get hurt even though the other was trying to, right, because they were good, you know. Fig referred to all these martial arts at the time. So this is what boxing emerges from, but at the moment yeah. it's not just boxing. It's the manly art of self-defence. That's the name of your book he writes and all this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. It's no holds bars. You were had to learn all these various weapon skills with swords, cudgels, yeah. everything. Also, you would have to learn for the fist fighting component of it. Yes. You would need to learn eye gouging, hair pulling, speech. What? <laughs> what you would, Say it again. You would need to learn because these are all legal. You would need to learn as well as fist fighting, eye gouging, hair pulling, all these guys if you see. These are the same things you had to learn to be one of the three students. <laughs> 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 you know that? This is all of them hair pulling. pulling. All of them had shaved heads. When you see the drawings of them all, oh, so you couldn't, so couldn't pull their hair. Spitting. 
He's just sounds like a night out. This is a night out with you. I want to say a Friday night. Headbutting, what was referred to as pairing, which was both could refer to shin kicking sometimes or kicking someone while they're down. I can see um, that. Stomping and kicking down opponents as things, wrestling throws, grapplings, all of these were part of it. So it's more like UFC where you can punch on, but you can also wrestle someone. You, to me, this is we're still a far away from boxing. Yeah, there's no rules, right, basically, yeah, right? Yeah. So there was sub-organisation, but it was sort of like, okay, now it's time to move, put the swords down and start the fizz fighting, right? But that, but it wasn't like it was uh, like… Put the swords down, I'm going to kick you in the balls. That's right. That was sort of it. And it wasn't until 1743, 13 years after Fig retires, that kicking an opponent while they were down and gouging their eyes was banned from the sport. Woke, <laughs> so he, woke nonsense. Woke not, and at the time, you asked about this earlier, people wrote letters going, this is going to destroy the manlyhood of England and yeah. let the French take us over. They wrote letters like that wow. going, this is the beginning of the end. This is the slippery <laughs> slope to us, you know. They're fighting for things like you would – Turn up at a fair when you're someone like him and open a stall, travel around to fairs, and you'd say, I will fight anyone. Sure. And people would come and say, all right, well, I'll fight you for, and they would fight for money, free beer, hats, it says, <laughs> or cups. So it's like, I think it was cups. like metal cups, you know, that were worth something, but they would fight for all this. Right. And so you'd say, oh, I'll challenge you, you know, I'm willing to challenge you. And so you'd fight. And he starts gaining this reputation as one of the greatest of these prize fighters. Yes. Like on any, any, whether it's fists, swords, whether whatever, he will kind just, of fastest gun in the West kind of stuff. So if he yeah. turned up, would people go, "Oh, figs here"? Yeah, yeah, you out. got a name, and people wanted it, so you became more well known. And yeah. then, you, so it's like the difference between going to see Mike Tyson fight in his prime compared to someone, you, you know, some amateur boxer. Yeah. He would be. He started to get a bit of a name. He started to perfect this style of unarmed combat. This is where the boxing starts to emerge a little bit, where it became known as figs fighting. And it was more like the UFC where he could wrestle and box at the yes. same time. Basically, he was good at being able to fist fight, but he was good at he knew the wrestling perfectly. Spitting? Was he a good spitter? He was a great spitter, could hit you from, really hit you from a mile away. <laughs> it's a dead eye. He never a, missed. He produced a lot of spit, Mick. Eye gouging. He gouged a few eyes. <laughs> you well, you do anything, right? And it, so he would know whether to grapple, whether the, he could punch on, he could grapple, he could do everything. Yeah. He's earning a living doing this. He's travelling around. He would show up in England a few times and he would set up a, a stand at one of the great fairs there and sign up front, here I am, Jeremy Fig from Tame. I will fight any man in England. <laughs> Here's my card. I just love the formality yeah, of the yeah, it was I'm like, going to beat your brains out. By 1719, he was really now seen as what emerging out of this sort of fighting martial arts thing that he was declared by everyone as the best bare-knuckle boxing champion. So they, they've started to single that bit out of the combat to go, he's, he's the best at, at, at this. But he was actually seen as a better swordsman and cudgels was his got, best. Got but, good at cudgels. but he knew all of it, right? So he starts to, at this point, get recognised by Peterborough's third count, Charles Mordaunt, who sees Fig fight and goes, this guy is amazing, and goes, I will fund you your career. So right. I will pay for you to set up a fighting academy in London. He's like a Don King. Yeah. He's like the original. Yeah. So he sets Fig up with, they build a fighting academy to train noblemen and other fighters. Yes. So the working class fighters that he trains them to go on and fight, the noblemen just learn it because it's seen it's as a good art. thing to – it's an art and it's good to be – to be a man, you need to be able to fight. If yeah. you can't fight, you're not a man. You're still right? a fop. But they're still <laughs> fops, yeah. They don't, you know. <laughs> it also is part of this fighting academy. He builds a thing and it becomes known as Figs Amphitheatre and it's a like a boxing stadium where the public can so come. So instead of travelling around, now he's now permanent. coming to him. Yeah, coming to him this and it's it. – it's got a raised platform, wooden, supported by wooden railings, so not a boxing ring. Right. It's just a platform, like a, more like a stage. You can have a 1,000 people on the ground floor at any time watching, and in the gallery it can be two or 300, which tends to be the nobility, but a huge amount of people for the day, like huge yeah. crowds. And as much as 3,000 pounds begin to be wagered on every bout. So it becomes a, like it's absolutely organised. Very organised, yeah. den of all this sort of stuff. Still swords, cudgels, long staffs. <laughs> Spitting, biting, everything, right? Yeah. There was another one, his closest rival. More of these get copied. There was another one called Stokes Amphitheatre. It was slightly different. It was also run by Elizabeth Stokes, who was the wife of James Stokes who owned it, and they ran it together. 
she would often fight on her own or he and her as a husband and wife team would fight against other men and women. <laughs> husband and wife team? Yeah. It's like the mixed doubles. Yeah, like, you know, let's really, like, yeah, let's go. And uh, they would advertise that their female uh, fighters um, would be in scanty dress. <laughs> so they were, like, really going the – and the Georgians yeah. loved this, right? They saw this as – they weren't like the Puritans of the Victorian era. They were like, yeah, great, this is great stuff. Go to figs for more of the yeah. pure combat. Go to this for more of the sexy fun figs stuff. Figs for cudgels. <laughs> yeah, the other the other one for lingerie. For it was lingerie. literally, but and we can do almost do another podcast on Elizabeth Stokes because she ran this like she was this tough woman who ran a boxing. Madam running a brothel. Yeah, but she was like, but she fought herself and everything. She was like Fantastic. very impressive, and I, like I would go down the rabbit hole of that now, but we'll be here for weeks. So I want to do her in a future one. Yeah, Fig's reputation grew to the point where. All the gentlemen amateurs, so the people not prize fighting because they're yes. already rich and it's seen as bad if you're rich to fight for money, but yeah. you do it for – they all come and seek out Fig to tutor them. Um, one was a Captain Godfrey who he becomes Fig's biographer and he says, I've purchased my knowledge with many a broken head and bruises in every part of me. And this is in his book, Treaties Upon the Useful Science of Defence. <laughs> He says, as for Figs himself, he says, he was of rugged temper and would spare no man, high or low, who took up a stick against him. <laughs> it's all this pure uh, violence cut with flowery language all around it. The world they're living in. So Fig becomes so good that people don't even challenge him anymore. Sure. He tends to fight semi-regular matches with reoccurring opponents almost for show and displays of how good he is with the sword and cudgel. Like they're almost like an exhibition, mar match. exhibition martial arts displays, right, of how yeah. good you can be. Uh, he fights one guy called Roland Bennett 23 occasions over the course of his career. So it's yeah. like that Bennett, sort of... He's a glutton for punishment. He, he just yeah. he thought he could take him. Did he they, ever win? No. Net, well, he never won. I would have thought after about a dozen. Yeah. You might go... You'd go yeah. I'll let you have one. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington General, right? You know, like it's that sort of thing. Right. They would fight each other all the time. It's believed Figs fought a total of 270 fights. And you got to remember these fights can go like three hours, some of them. He was only ever lost once. And the only person that ever beat him was a pipe maker by the name of cool. Ned Sutton. Ned the pipe maker. Sutton. Yeah, exactly. So Sutton... Sutton beat him. What's Sutton, the Sutton story? So Sutton's a native of Gravesend, which is sort of as you go down from London down the Thames to the sort of the mouth of it. And at the time, now it's part of London really, but at the time it was seen as a remote trading port and sure. shipping station. So they looked down Londoners on Gravesend. Port town. It's like yeah, on the river, on Thames. But yeah. yeah, Sutton's, his whole life has been just a pipe maker, right? <laughs> but he, he likes as his recreation to fight. With pipes? With a, yeah, I think. Good for the country. I think you probably could fight with a pipe. No one <laughs> would mind. Got it to the point where no one in Kent and that area where he came from would fight him. Yeah. So he couldn't get a fight, even if, because everyone just knew who he was and went. Hard day of pipe making. And you just want to punch <laughs> on. want to beat someone's brains out. Come on, guys. <laughs> Jeez. So he literally can't fight anyone he's, anymore because he's, he's beaten everyone. Um, and he's great with. Broadsword, quarterstaff, all fists. So he's good with all of them. He's got to look further afield. He does. He hears a fig and he says, I need to challenge this guy, obviously, yeah. because I've kind of done here. I need yeah. to go to London. It's 1723 and nobody's challenged fig since 1719. Like he'd fought exhibition matches and various things, but no one's really I'll, challenged I'll him to say, to I'll be the fig. champion. Yeah. Challenges are made in the paper. So the paper... It's organised, but people call each other out. So, so, so you do it publicly? Yeah, I'll read you a couple that are in Please. the actual newspaper. So uh, William Willis challenges um, a guy called Thomas Smallwood. He says, and this is what it says in the paper, whereas I, William Willis, commonly known by the name of the Fighting Quaker... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> ..have fought Mr Smallwood about 12 months since and held him the tightest to it and bruised and battered him more than anyone he has ever encountered, though I had the ill fortune to be beat by an accidental fall. <laughs> That's all loser. Yeah, it's all loser. I invite him to fight me for 100 pounds at the time and place above mentioned when I doubt not, but I shall prove the truth of what I have asserted by pegs, darts, hard blows, falls, and cross buttocks. <laughs> 
That's cr- cross buttocks is a wrestling throw. Wow. They kept mentioning cross buttocks in my research and I kept not knowing if I, I was like, frightened to ask yeah, when you mentioned it. And you'd be surprised how many hours into my research I went, I might just Google <laughs> cross buttocks. I was scared to Google it too, but so it turns ad, out it's this, a wrestling this ad throw. This is the equivalent of playground. Meet me out. Meet me yeah, you know, shed. you know, WWE wrestlers, how they like would call do the out. interviews. Yeah. You know, it's like that, right? Like, so then. Thomas Smallwood responds in the paper. I, Thomas Smallwood, (laughs) known for my intrepid manhood and bravery on and off the stage, accept the challenge of this puffing Quaker. (laughs) This is early trash talk. talk. And will shoo him that he is led by a false spirit that means him no other good than that he should be chastised for offering to take upon him the arm of the flesh. Right? So that's one. Here's another one. Whereas I, John Francis, commonly known by the name of the jumping soldier, (laughs) who have always had the reputation of a good fellow and have fought several bruises in the street, nor am I ashamed to mount the stage when my manhood is called in question by an Irish braggadocio. (laughs) I now, invite, I now invite him to fight me for two guineas at the time and place above mentioned where I doubt not I shall give him the truth of a good beating. And the Irishman, a guy by the name of Patrick Henley, <laughs> replies, I, Patrick Henley, known to everyone for the truth of a good fellow who never refused anyone on or off the stage and fight as often for the diversion of gentlemen as for money to accept the challenge of this jumping jack and shall, <laughs> if he don't take care... Give him one of my bothering blows, which will convince him of his ignorance in the art of boxing. This is incredible. Now, two guineas as opposed to the previous one was £100. Yeah, so it could just So the challenger sets the price? Roughly. And Does he also, provide the... It's who can get the money. So often some of the big boxers, they can, they've got patrons who will make the prize money more so they can make more fun having bets and they will share in the prize money. Where the lesser boxers are, who are trying to build up, they might only... I cannot... I can scrape together this much for the prize fight, you know, and so it can vary widely depending on how popular. Like today, you know, like the big fights are, you know, worth millions of dollars and then there's fights happening on a Friday night at the local gym that no one cares about, right? So The problem with those fights is, though, you don't see too many braggadocios. I, uh, it's it's trash really talk. It's and trash it's talk. Talking yourself up. It's that, this and it's is, printed in the paper, so everyone can read it all and yeah. go, "Oh, I can't wait to." What would the how long would it take to respond? Generally, so someone makes often a challenge. It would, and, often it would be in the same paper, like they would organize it all. Uh, so, so it was pre-planned. almost there's pre yeah it was pre organized. Yeah, it's like and, a, the response. and the response. So it's like a, a wow. boxing media conference now, but it would be done in the paper, right, all at once, you know. But it would be. Written like full statements. Well, Here's this is the, just yeah. outstanding. And you can go online and read all these. And I could have read. I want to see all, all these fights. Oh, they, they're they yeah. have me hooked. Yeah, they're straight up. There's a story behind it right away. So Fig, when he hears that Sutton wants to fight him, Ned Sutton, he says, "Well, this is great because he hadn't been challenged for ages, and business is getting a bit dull at his amphitheater because King George has gone on his summer trip to Hanover." Right. And he's taken the aristocracy, all the cream of them all with him. So, so it's a bit quiet. It's a bit quiet at the amphitheatre. There's less people. And so this is affecting his ticket sales. Mm. So he loves this idea that Sutton, who he'd never heard of, yes. challenging him publicly, he's like, this is fantastic. I can actually you know, go and life. fight him. And we'll talk. And he was a pr- becoming a good promoter as well because, yeah, right. you know, as well as a fighter, he's a promoter. And this leads to them fighting three times. The first is in 1723. Some of these we've got a lot of data on fights, some we've got a little because the the record keeping at the time is not, yeah. you know. So this is 1723, remember. Who wins the first one? The first one, it begins with them starting with swords. This is the rules. We'll start with swords and see fight till someone can't fight anymore to see who's superior in swords. Then after an interval, it's fists. And then if you're still up for it, the third round will be cudgels. <laughs> Right, and to win, you have to defeat the man in all three of these engagements. All three. Well, that's the idea, or you all make the person not be able to continue on at all. So we don't know much about the first fight, except Sutton wins when Fig suffers his first loss after he takes a wound in the belly from a sword, and is also cloven in the foot. (laughs) So he basically he's had his stomach cut open and can't walk. Still get out there, but the doctor still goes, he's good to go. He's good to go. Walk uh, it off. Hey, imagine you caught a man 
So today, if you get a cut above, little cut above the eye, yeah. they'll get the Vaseline out, yeah, yeah. they get the press out, and they're doing it. Imagine in quarter man, when you come in, what's happened? I've been stabbed with a sword. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can you fix this in three minutes? Rub some dirt on it. Um, it is literally like, because this is like not just boxing, this is boxing, but it's sword fighting everything. So he's literally, cut, they're cutting each other with swords. So he's right? cooked. As he's he, cooked. He couldn't go on. He, no, he and it's, it's or... very early in the fight. There's not much detail this fight, but it's obviously very early on. Everyone's a bit disappointed. Like one, that Figs lost, but two, that it, it's, yeah, not yeah. A, it's not a classic match. It's just yeah. over relatively quickly. It's a bit of an anticlimax. Yeah. This leads to a rematch on the 6th of June, 1927. You'd be surprised even though it's a few years later. It takes years to <laughs> recover from some of these fights. <laughs> this one is like... Fraser versus Ali. It is the rematch. Everyone knows about Everyone this. knows. Everyone is absolutely pumped. Everyone just cannot wait. And so they're like, let's go. So a thousand spectators show up. The Prime Minister Robert Walpole is there. <laughs> uh, the Poet Laureate uh, Collie Kibber, who's famous, very famous at the time, um, this is 1727, shows up. So, you know, you got you got Alexander Pope. Oh, who's course. famous writer, and you got Jonathan Swift, who just published Gulliver's Travels. So all these people, so celebrities. So they like ring today. announce them like the today. And yeah, Jack yeah. Nicholson's there, yeah, and he gets up. Yeah, it's, it's exactly like Jonathan that. Swift. Though. It's exactly like that because you know today you have all the celebrities there, yes. and this is where you, it's the working class. But then there's all the yeah. celebs there. You know, can I say Fig would have been taken? Like he probably got jumped. Fig, he probably. You know how some boxes today they come in, they go, "Who's this chump?" Yeah. And they get sat on their ass. And yeah. then the next time they go, okay, I'm, I'm guessing figs come back going. Figs come back going, I've, got to, I've never we're, lost before. We need to I've got to win. natural order. Yeah, we've got to, you know. So almost immediately in this rematch, and this is in June 1727, Sutton drives Fig back and forces Fig to cut himself with his own blade. But that's ruled that that's not, the wound's not considered serious enough uh, to end it. It's like an accidental headbutt. <laughs> yeah. They keep fighting. Fig then cuts Sutton's shoulder with the sword. They then stop. It's the end of the sword round. It's sort of even. They break and the fighters drink ale to like build their spirits up would. again. It comes back with bare hand combat. Oh, that Fig loves this. Yeah, no, yeah. Sutton um, is the closest they reckon ever in ability to Fig on this, but Sutton knocks Fig, punches him, and it knocks him from the stage and into the crowd. <laughs> Well, that's usually game over. Well, they pick this pick Fig up and he comes back in. <laughs> Finally, Fig wears him Sutton down and, and knocks him down and then he gets him on the ground and he starts just pummeling him on the yeah. ground and Sutton's bruised and bleeding, his mouth's cut, he's nearly blinded from swelling. And Fig says he had enough and finally Sutton says, enough indeed. You are a brave fellow and my master. Wow. So so Figs run, yeah. So Figs run the run the rematch. Then they have a third one, and in the cudgel round, which is Fig's specialty, Fig breaks Sutton's knee. With the cudgel. With the cudgel, and literally makes he can't go on. And so he's won two to one, basically, and this is sort That's of the thing. So at this point, Fig decides, it's sort of, by 1730, Fig's like, I think I've had enough of this. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, check, please. Uh, I'm going to go to this promotion and stuff. So here's three protégés, and we might get to these guys in the next episode but one of them um is a guy called jack broughton he's one of the big guys another guy bob whittaker but what he does fig as he's retired 9 30 it suddenly becomes a chance to promote these big fights and he sets up the first ever international bout of boxing in this stream yes. of boxing it's not a true world championship because the americans aren't really a full country by this point there is are they boxing they are, but they're the colonies at this point. They haven't even left. They haven't had the War of Independence yet. You know, it's barely anyone there. It's just really it's, England. it's just England, yeah. So the, he sets up the first ever sort of international fight. In 1733, the Earl of Bath, William Pulteney, he imports a massive gondola, a guy from Venice. So right. this guy's a gondola in Venice named Tito Alberto di Carini. He watches the giant beat up three men in a single night in Venice and okay. says... That's Why don't you come to England and fight in England? I think yeah. you could do well. So they call him the gondolier. <laughs> Once again, very <laughs> occupational. Babe. Yes. He arrives in England and says, I'll break the jawbone of any opponent with the audacity to fight me. So it's, A little less flowery than I'm used to, <laughs> but, but he, I'll allow but, it. But you know what he's like? And apparently he's broken lots of jaws. This guy is a yeah. huge hulk of a man, huge muscles, massive. And everyone thinks... 
Uh-oh. And they go to Fig and go, you got to defend England's honour. Sure. This guy's calling us all out. Fig goes, now nah, I'm retired. I'll set up the fight. And I've got a guy, one of my students, Bob Whitaker, who goes on to be a great fighter. I'll get him to fight him. I'll prepare him. He'll fight him. In Fig's amphitheatre, this fight takes place and a large cab gather there, all know the nobility, heaps of cash. Everyone is betting on this. Sure. King George II watches the fight from a specially constructed royal box in the amphitheatre. <laughs> right. The Venetian comes out. There's some Venetians in the crowd. They all start cheering. There we go. And it's, so it's very, like you say, very yeah, international intense awesome. and there's money everywhere. He's beaming with confidence and he takes off. He strips off his top and he is a giant of a man, huge, one of the biggest men all of them have ever seen. He's huge. And they all go, uh-oh. He's trouble. And they've all got money riding on England. <laughs> and they're like, uh-oh. How can I get on the gondolier? <laughs> yeah. So then Whitaker comes out. Whitaker takes off his robe or equivalent and not so impressive. And they're all like, oh, no. We're cooked. <laughs> We're cooked. The fight starts and the gondolier straight away, a huge blow to the side of uh, Whitaker's head, which knocks him off the stage. Okay. Not a good start. Uh, get back in there. The Venetian supporters are cheering and they're going, well, this is great. Whitaker, though, gets up straight away, gets back in and starts attacking. And he runs in and just gives this almighty body shot to the Venetian. And the Venetian ends up on his knees <laughs> vomiting. <laughs> Well, again, uh, is this a, a standing count? Or no, no. Count? no. And then, and then Whitaker just pummels him until basically the, it's, all over. it's all over, and the gondoliers concede. But this is seen as the first world championship, championship sort of fight. Like it plans the, planned. it plans the. Uh, Fig thinks great. I'm going to set up a bunch more fights like this. But in 1734, he actually passes away, and he leaves behind wife and several children. And this is the end of this first era of boxing yeah. and where we might return next time is really where we get the first set from Jack Broughton, his student, coming up to sort of 1730s, the first ever rules put in place for boxing that lead directly to the rules. That's we the end of have. it. <laughs> the nanny rules. state uh, come okay. in. So that's what I think we will leave it for today. Thank you. I've enjoyed that. I'm going to go and uh, spit on someone and go there and <laughs> with a cudgel. <laughs> Because you can. Thank you, Titus O'Reilly. Uh, we'll be back to finish this story, to boot home the history of boxing. Wow. If you want more Sports Bazaar, simply go to any of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. We've got the whole lot. And we also have Bazaar Plus, our membership program, where you can get even more content. A link to that is just in the show notes. Cheers. Cheers.